how do you how do you truly start to belong to a place and to to really call that that home and you know i think we're not going to fight for the places that we don't love and it's very hard to love a place that you don't know that was david pocock and you're listening to the regenerative journey we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and internationally and their continuing connection to country, culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott. G'day, uh, very excited to um, have interviewed David Pocock for the next uh, episode of The Regenerative Journey. Um, most of most of, uh, of our listeners would probably know David as uh, being um, one of the uh, uh, Wallaby captains, rugby union captain, um, one of uh, one of the probably in, in his in his um, in his heyday one of the one of the best rugby union players in the world, um, and and what a lovely bloke he's he's been here for a couple of days doing the introduction to biodynamics workshop uh, at Hannah Minow, and I caught up with um, David talking uh, looking over the uh, the dam here at Hannah Minow and a beautiful landscape in front of us. We talked about his uh, his life growing up in Zimbabwe, um, and moving to Australia. Playing rugby, not too much rugby, um, mainly about regenerative agriculture. His, his advocacy work there, his interests um, with some um, amazing community projects back in Zimbabwe. His time there spent on a farm a couple of years ago, and his learnings of that. Um, a book he's he's published with his um, with Emma, his partner uh, in our nature, and a whole lot of other cool stuff: nutrition, health, mental health. Um, a really good yarn with David, and a lovely bloke, and. Uh, um, as I said in the interview, really glad that he's um, he's part of uh, part of um, life here in Australia, uh, not just as a, a legend rugby uh, rugby union player, but as a one of one of the team um, advocating for regenerative ag practices and uh, and the principles. And just before we head into the interview, I just want to tell you about our upcoming Victorian Introduction to Biodynamics workshops. There are two days. The first one is on the 18th and 19th of March. It's not very far away in the Macedon, Macedon Ranges, just an hour or so out of uh, Melbourne. And on the 22nd and 23rd, a couple of days later, we'll be in East Gippsland uh, at a 2,000-acre uh, cattle farm there, Woodcott Farm. Um, it's two days, theory in the morning, practice in the afternoon. Go to charliearnett.com.au for all the booking details and I hope to see you there. David Pocock, welcome to uh, my mum and dad's loft house <laughs> accommodation here at Hannah Minow. Thanks for having me, Charlie. It, it's yeah, such a beautiful view. Great to see a bit of the farm. It's, um, it's a view I don't actually get to see very much because I'm usually up here um, I won't say I'm tidying for mum and dad, but I'm certainly making sure that there's no rats and mice and <laughs> stuff going on. So I glimpse out this beautiful, for those who can't, actually no one can see, we're, we're the only ones who can see, even the guys watching the video, you're just getting the back back wall of the, the loft. We're looking over um, a dam, 
a lake, I guess. We call it a dam. It's always been a dam to us. Um, beside the house, the homestead here at Hanamino, looking south um, at mainly well, there's a few ornamental trees in the garden, beautiful willow hanging over the dam. Um, and then beyond that, there's canola, not ours. And there's, there's been a fair bit of, um, on our neighbours, um, a fair bit of revegetation. Some of the earliest, see that big strip through there, Dave, that's quite thick just below the canola. Yep. That was um, the, the first direct seeded project in, in Burua. So going back, I think it's the late 80s, maybe, maybe 1991. So in 89, the Burra Community Landcare Group was um, established. I think it was the second in Australia, and I think that yeah, that was the that was the first one. It's pretty thick. They went hard. They went right. Let's do this. So that's kind of cool. I often look at that and go, well, that's, that was a significant moment in the history of you know the environment at Burra. Plenty of plenty of other ones that weren't so good. Um, Dave, as the the name of the podcast suggests, we're um we're looking and talking about regenerative journeys. I'm really keen to sort of drill into yours. Um, so where do you want to start? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe from the start. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. I'll give you a little bit of uh, my background. I, I grew up on a, a farm in the middle of Zimbabwe mm. and very conventional um, farming. Con- conventional in what sense? Uh, kind of high input, um, aiming for high output. It uh, didn't always happen with, uh, you know, drought and, and, and all the rest that came. But we we ran a few sheep um, and uh, some cattle, but that really wasn't the focus. We were, we were mainly doing um, maize, tomatoes, and then uh, fresh cut flowers for export. So pretty intensive. We had, um, I think, three hectares of hypericum under lights um, to kind of extend the the, the days and make them flower at the right time of year. Are they, are they native to Zimbabwe? I don't, I'm not familiar with them. No, they, they, they're not. It's, it's yeah. kind of the St. John's wort, um, that kind of um, red berry looking thing. You'd, you'd know it if you saw it sure. in, in yeah. flower arrangements. So we did them and then Bipleurum, which is just a, a filler, um, and they were all exported to, to Holland. Wow. Um, so Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I guess growing up in in Zimbabwe, Alan Savory was a well known name um, and very controversial. Uh, I want to get back to that, as well as you know, guys like Johann Zietzman, who were who were really challenging paradigms. Um, farming there, you know, like I think a lot of places in the world, very conservative. Um, kind of mindset, um, knowledge passed down through generations and, you know, accumulated over a long period of time. And, and to when you have guys like um, like Alan and, and Johan challenging that, uh, it often didn't go down too well. So I kind of, yeah, probably wasn't until after I, I left school. I, I'd grown up loving nature, loving wildlife and um, kind of, if I, if I didn't get into rugby, my, my thing was wanting to be a, a game ranger, like a park ranger. And I guess as I started to, to do a bit more reading, I um, was interested in ecology and then kind of got onto human ecology. Like how do we think of our place in the world? How do we interact with uh, the environment we live in? Um, 
how do we construct you know the the built environments um and that really brought me back to agriculture and starting to read a bit more widely read um some of Alan Savory's stuff um yeah I, I guess there's a there's a there's a bunch of good stuff out there and and, and really started to see what a amazing role agriculture can actually play and has to play in changing our relationship to the places that we we live um you know if we're if we're to actually pass on a uh an exciting future to future generations and do you think being uh, growing up on a farm and having the interest of not just agriculture well, I guess you're interested in agriculture. Well, I'll start again. Was your interest in agriculture, do you think, and, 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 and sort of turning into a regenerative approach because you grew up on a farm or do you think that might have been, like if you'd grown up in the city somewhere, do you think you would have stepped into this space um, as much as you have? I'm not sure. I'd, initial reaction is probably, probably not. Mm. Um, you know, both um, sides of... Um, my family were were farming. Uh, my mum's side of the family um, were citrus farmers down in the Lowfelt, and um, my dad's side of the family were were farming in South Africa and then also in in Zimbabwe in the Midlands. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that was something that um, kind of brought me brought me back to it. Um, I remember as a young kid <laughs> kind of almost promising myself that I wouldn't go into farming just because of how, <laughs> you know, precarious it was financially and seeing, um, you know, just the weekly struggle to pay wages and, and um, balance the books and try and try and squeeze out a bit of a, a profit. Um, so, so yeah, uh, as as a kid, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, um, but I guess I've become more and more interested in it, and um, yeah, really interested in the conversation that's that's starting to happen more and more in Australia around a different different perspective on farming, a different way of thinking about farming, and starting to develop systems that are working with nature rather than a very kind of colonial European view of beating the land into submission and mastering nature. Yeah. Um, were, you, were your memories fond? And I, I, I'm asking that question because, you know, given your um, previous and, c- and current sort of involvement um, over there, which we'll get to, you know, was was it apart from, I guess, um, not wanting to be a farmer, we, did you have fond memories of farming? Growing up on a farm, loved it. I mean, I I'm so grateful for that bringing I had. Um, you know, we had we had quite a bit of wildlife on our on our farm. So as a yeah, as a kid, I'd be you know off with the the single shot shotgun, just kind of roaming the place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that really shooting, shooting vermin. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, trying to shoot yeah a dove or a um, Franklin or guinea fowl or something to try and come back and cook up <laughs> for a, afternoon what's a Frank, tea. What's a Franklin? Uh, it's kind of like a, 
they call them spur fowl now. They're kind of smaller than a guinea fowl and yep. brown. Bird, yeah. Yeah. Probably it's like a really big quail. Really, yeah. yeah. Um, and what was the – tell us, just to sort of set the, set the scene, I mean, what's, what's the duration? How long had, had, had Europeans been farming in Zimbabwe? I think only since the early 1900s. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they'd been – obviously the, the Europeans had been there um, uh, for some time. Had they not sort of been – was it more sort of cattle um, uh, rearing and, and that sort of thing or, or was it really a, really a, a frontier um, territory? Yeah, it was. I think Cecil John Rhodes uh, moved up into Zimbabwe with the um, – was the British South Africa Company? I think in the eighteen sixties. I don't don't quote me on that, but I think around then. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, then I guess from then they kind of took over and, and really did some dodgy deals and and um, cheated the. I think initially then Debele out of a bunch of land and then kind of kept moving north. Mm. Um, I was a. One of my favourite author as a child was Wilbur Smith. Okay, and I read every book. Yeah, right. And I could, I was, I was Sean Courtney, <laughs> you know, doing all that cool stuff. <laughs> it was just, it was, um, and I, and you know, your reference to being a game hunter—that's what I wanted to be. I could see myself in my gear and the rifle and my leather and all that sort of stuff. It was just an absolute dream, and I've never been. Um, so I, we'll have to get you over that. Oh, I'd love to. I really, um, I'm really. It, it's sort of, it's weird that it's a place I've never been to. I feel a real affinity with it. Um, uh, you know, sort of, and, and I'm, 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 I'd like to know more about the history. Not necessarily. We don't need to spend three hours going through it today. But I'm, I'm just fascinated with, um, with the culture, the history. You know, and and I and I suspect the opportunities there, mm. which we'll get to. Dave, um, so grew up as a, um, uh, a yeah, farming boy. Yeah, and then there was a time when you, um, you your family decided to to get out of there, mm. and you came to Australia. Yeah, the, the uh, Zimbabwe government started a land reform program in ninety nine two thousand, and um, terribly executed kind of political play, um, and and really just targeted white farmers and uh, black Zimbabwean farmers who didn't support the government. And, yeah, th- thousands of farmers got kicked off their, kicked off their land. Um, so we were fortunate enough to, uh, after a long wait, get, get um, visas to move to Australia. So I finished high school in Brisbane, did, did three years of high school in Brisbane. And did can I ask whether you know did you have to walk away or was there some um, what happened like just like we get a chance we're just going to walk out of here or was it sort of um, resumed as it were your land? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd grown up never it never crossing my mind that I'd leave Zimbabwe and then when the the land stuff kicked off as a young kid you've kind of watching TV and you, the president is telling you that. You know, white farmers are evil, and um, and I guess the 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 hatred that I think that stirred up. Um, we, my dad kept trying to farm. Like we, we, when things got hairy, we moved into town for a bit, and he'd go out to the farm. Um, and then a couple of farmers in our area got got killed, and after that, they kind of decided that you know it really wasn't worth 
trying to hang around and started to look for look for other options. Mm. And so moved to Australia. What was that uh, culturally? I mean, uh, how, how different culturally are, are we? What was your experience of, of the of the culture? I guess going to boarding school, a lot of boys. You know, there's all that sort of camaraderie and so on. But and some culturally, was it was there some barriers you had to sort of get through? Or was it just like you beauty? I've hit. You know, I'm in heaven. I was su- I was super excited and. You know, before we even got here, felt just felt so grateful for the opportunity. Um, but yeah, massive culture shock. I mean, at at uh, high school in Zimbabwe, they were you know they were still caning, still using the cane, and then you kind of arrive in Australia, and it's a lot more kind of casual uh, approach to things um, in terms of you know relating to your to your teachers and. But yeah, I I. Uh, Kind of threw myself into sport. That was the way that I, that that was the way I made friends. You know, once you're on the, on on the field, you're no longer a, a new kid with a funny accent. You're just part of the team. And if you can, <laughs> if you can play well, then people want to, people want to have you around. That's the beauty of rugby, isn't it? Like you can be, yeah, speak with a funny accent, head like a drop pie, um, you know, all these sort of things. But like as long as you can play footy, mm. then you're you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that that really was my outlet, um, and yeah, kind of threw myself into into sport, and I'd, I'd grown up always wanting to play rugby for the Springboks. Was a big mm-hmm. Springbok supporter, um, and so when we moved to Australia, it was yeah, want to play for the Wallabies. I was, yeah, oh, you've answered my question, man. But um, yeah, I was all, I guess I was interested to to understand, you know, I guess. What it's like playing um, for another country against your home country was it was there was there a I mean how, how was that uh, I I, lo- I love playing the Springboks um, you know I would have loved to have been able to play against Zimbabwe at some point um, but they're going through a bit of a tough patch I think I think they'll they'll get back up there um, yeah always always look forward to it. Um, Dave, how did, did you balance, um, you know, I, I, I guess you would have had, you know, your, your, your interest in agriculture and ecology and um, wouldn't have waned. I mean, I guess it's how, how did you find the balance between playing, playing rugby at international level and also sort of maintaining your, your, your um, contact with your, mm. your passion, your, your other passion? In 2000 and Eight two thousand nine. Um, I co-founded an organisation um, here in Australia, and we were we were partnering with a, um, a rural community in in Zimbabwe, and really starting to try and work on basic kind of food and water security um, issues. Uh, low input gardening was one thing. Kind of trying to use um, water points as a place for community gardens for people to come together to learn i guess more uh climate adapted ways of of growing um vegetables and and really kind of basic needs and then did a bit of work there with conservation farming where small-scale farmers are kind of digging basins and planting into basins that then trap the water and um it's 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 been really successful in in rural zimbabwe that, that's still working. That's still still yeah, yeah still working. 
uh, there's, a there's a few different conservation <laughs> farming. Um, there's a group that calls it farming God's way. Yeah, um, cool. So that kind of kept me, gave me a bit of a, a link. Um, and then towards, towards the end of my involvement there, we were really starting to look at a value chain approach to, um, to that sort of development work. Whereas if, if you can actually provide a better market, yeah, farmers are, farmers are smart. They're, they'll figure out the rest. Um, and rather than going there and be really prescriptive, telling people you need a fence, you need to do this, you need to be um, looking after livestock better. If you can actually just say, well, actually, if you can get your goat or your steer looking like this, you can get two or three times more mm. money for it. Mm. And all of a sudden, farms are solving solving issues coming together. Um, and a big part of that is, is just actually providing a market where there's more than just one buyer that comes and rips them off, um, creating a bit of competition. Um, you know, I think there's, in that sense, there's probably parallels um, to regenerative ag in, in Australia. I think as consumers realise the value of food and are starting to be more willing to spend um, their money kind of either going direct to farmers or spending a little bit more for food that is actually better. I think yeah, farmers aren't dumb. We're going to see a lot more farmers <laughs> um, starting to take an interest and, and um, rethink a lot of the ways we've been doing things. Meet the demand. Mm. Um, it's a great point. <clears throat> and, you know, one I often bang on about is, you know, we, we go to school, we do economics, you know, whatever, 101, whatever it is, and, you know, su supply-demand is what we're taught. You know, that that's the balance and and that works, I guess, to some degree and that's certainly the way that the, um, you know, most of the, the um, uh, first world countries sort of operate. And, and I'm a great believer in exactly what you've just said, Dave, that if we can create the demand, you know, a demand-led economy, um, you know, will generate the supply, mm. you know, instead of – Farmers or anyone in any, any industry really just creating something to hopefully sell to someone. You know that we as farmers, if we can actually be growing products in the paddock, and we know, you know, even before they're born, essentially where they're going to where they're going to go. You know, who's going to eat that thing? Who's going to buy that? Then, then that's a that's a much better business model than buy than, sell, than creating a whole lot of stuff and going, oh god, where am I going to sell it? Um, so you know. Generating that interest, which you said is actually is, is absolutely growing. Um, you know, people are keen to know where their food's from, and they're much more conscious about conscientious about you know um, where it's from, how it was raised, um, chemical input, nutritional value, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, big fan of that. Of let's generate the interest, let's generate the demand. As you say, farmers mm. aren't dumb. They're going to yeah. go, oh, really? So if I just do this, I tweak this and tweak that. And I love what you said about you know, I guess. The old way, if we can call it that, of prescriptive farming, you know, fences, whatever else, but it's just it's often the say small tweaks, isn't it? You know, mm. that, that 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 relate and are adapted to a situation as opposed to someone going and going, mm. you've got to adopt this. You've got to put your fences here. Here's a recipe. Here's a prescription. Mm. Uh, it's a bit like um, health too, isn't it? Mm. Prescriptive medicine, and, <laughs> which I, is another conversation. I guess that's the that's the challenge. Is it really is about changing. Or challenging your paradigm and, and trying to think in a different way, um, which as humans is, is, is hard. We, we often shy away from change. And 
to your to your question earlier, I guess one of the things that struck me moving to Australia um, and for the first time living living in a big city was how farmers kind of have a in some ways a kind of revered in Australian folklore and culture as kind of these salt of the earth, you know, um, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, make a plan, um, super resilient. But then on the other hand, we don't, as a society, from what I've seen, really look after farmers that well. Um, there's, there's a big, there's a big, disconnect there with with australia generally being so urbanized farmers are from my point of view really forgotten in many ways um and so trying to yeah trying to think about that and and see some of the big issues that that farmers are are facing in terms of um you know debt dealing with a changing climate um mental health issues, um, farmer suicides, uh, and then to throw a few other things in the mix, um, coal mining on, <laughs> on ag land. Um, Fracking. And, yeah, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, f- for me that's something that I think is really important that more Australians start to get vocal about um, is how we can support farmers who are who are standing up and trying to, you know, protect the places that they love and, and be able to produce um, food and fibre for, for, for all Australians. Um, and so a few years ago, I went up to Malls Creek and um, got involved in a, a protest against a, a coal mine there and actually locked on and got arrested with um, uh, Rick Laird, who's a fifth-generation farmer in the area. And I guess when you actually meet farmers and, and uh, try to understand the, the challenges that they're up to up against every day and then see, you know, this new coal mine four kilometres from his kid's school, the impacts it's having on the, on the water in the area, uh, noise, dust, uh, just ongoing issues. Um, you know, I think we've got to be, we've got to be better at, at, at looking after farmers and, yeah, putting putting more things in place where we can actually support them um, and ensure that a good farmer is able to actually earn a good living. And Dave, how what's um, we're sort of cutting to the chase already, which is which is okay. What what um, given that you brought it up, what, what's you know I guess how how are you supporting or how will you support farmers? What's your sort of um, what what drives you to support farmers in that way? Like to, to literally get arrested and go home in the back of the Divi van <laughs> or down to the cop shop at least. Um, Are you going to do that again? <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's got a mine nearby, David is more than willing to. He's got, he's got, um, he's got chains and locks and everything. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about um, lately, and it's probably just you know where I'm at is. How are we letting uh, this happen to you know places that we love? Um, and 
I guess as a, as an immigrant to Australia, um, trying to grapple with how do you how do you truly start to belong to a place and to to really call that that home and you know I think we're not gonna fight for the places that we don't love and it's very hard to love a place that you don't know and so actually actually getting to to know this incredible continent and um you know learning learning more about it the history um learning from tens of thousands of years of of aboriginal knowledge um yeah and I, the ex- exciting thing for me is seeing uh farmers like yourself who are doing that who are on that journey of of entering into uh, a genuine relationship with with their land and you know learning adapting um finding what works becoming becoming a true kind of expert on their farm um and not relying on you know the the other so-called experts who who will come in and prescribe something and then um nick off for a for a month or two and then come back and check on you like um so yeah i I think the regenerative ag movement um really provides an access point for people who eat food which is most australians i think (laughs) Um, oh no there's a few breatharians out there (laughs) and the farmers who are producing it to I don't know, start to actually connect and then join some of the dots and hopefully mm. build something that's um that's that's better than the current current way we're doing things. Dave, how do you um and and, and I, I trust this will be reflective and <clears throat> sort of um representative of, of opportunities for others. You know, what 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 are some of the ways that you connect with your because this is a this is a this is a new landscape for you, not new as in well new new to Borua. Have you been to Borua before? Been through a few times. Yeah, have you been? We'll have to get you. Have to get you to come on one of the rugby games, the, the Bora Goldies. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> They'd love that. You turn up at the top pub there. What? <laughs> what are you doing here? We've actually had some, we've had some legends there before in the, in, the, in the last years. Lots of very funny stories. Um, where was I going with that? But how do was? <clears throat> I mean, this is a new land. This is a new country for you. Not so much new, but but this is not where you you um, you grew up or you. You weren't born here, so how how have you managed to sort of adapt and re- and, and connect to this landscape, to this country? Spending time outside, um, yeah, re- really trying to you know get out and experience some of the the beautiful places that are you know literally on our doorsteps. Um, yeah, I think one of the the things we're we're up against is that a lot of us no longer live here. You know, we're we're living uh, on our phones, on Instagram and Facebook feeds. Um, you know, water comes from a tap. Uh, food comes from the grocery store. We, we've we've lost all those um, connections to what's actually important and bringing those things. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say 
spending spending time in nature, um, reading more about the the history of of Australia. Um, you know, I think someone like Charlie Massey um, in in Call of the Reed Warbler does such a such an amazing job in weaving together um, so much of the history and the I guess the hurt and injustice that's there and and trying to get people to think about well what, what do we do with it how how do we actually um, start to start to move forward um, I <laughs> I'll be honest like a food for the first quite a while of, of living in Australia, um, the birds are incredible. Like, just like love the love the birds here. But found the the lack of um, the mammals coming from from Zimbabwe uh, strange. And and I don't know the forest just felt a bit empty. And then went down to Tassie um, and spent a bit of time in the Tarkine in the northwest. Um, a few years ago now and like hearing Tassie devils, seeing quolls, um, I don't know, it just sparked something in me about what this landscape um, must have been like and, and what it could be like once again. Um, obviously, you know, cats and foxes, invasive species are uh, trashing the place at the moment. So... Yeah, that's a big um, – I guess that's a big issue that as a country we're going to have to start to put a lot more resources into. If if we want to see, you know, species like bilbies and numbats and all these other things that are kind of on the brink of extinction, um, uh, get more of a foothold. One of the exact two – I want to get back to books because um, you've got one. You and Emma have got one I don't talk about. But while we're on um, cats and foxes and so on, you know, whenever that comes up in conversation and, and their, um, I guess, their impact on wildlife and, you know, it, it sits very squarely beside um, the conversation around meat, eating meat, I feel. And, and there's a wonderful book um, on eating meat by Matt Evans who um, in that um, a very, and I have to say, a very good read, very balanced um, discussion around you know the pros and cons of eating meat and environmental impact and ethics and so on, and in that he says, um, and I've been quoting him ever since because I think it's just gold. He says you know there's a lot of lot of debate, a lot of argument, a lot of um, conflict around you know people's reasons for not eating meat, um, you know, and then envi- they're environmental or they're eth- ethical or they're or there's, you know, nutritional as well, and you know um, in particular. Groups of activists release chickens from their enclosures in, you know, I think it happened at Taranaki Farm there in Victoria a couple of years ago because they want the chickens to go free, mm. of course, you know, um, thinking that was a good idea and then they just got maimed by foxes. Mm. Or, you know, similar things, sheep stolen from places and tucked into apartments and, you know, just sort of really interesting ways to approach it. And, and, and Matt said is in there that the most significant impact that we can make, we can make, um, uh, is if it's about suffering, you know, if this whole argument is about animal suffering and, and how can we best reduce the number of animals and the degree of suffering, removal of feral cats, number one, mm. you know, hundreds of thousands or millions 
of you know um, native species in Australia alone, forget the rest of the world, are, are being tortured and, and, and killed every night. You know, if we can get those people who are um, really keen to see the end of you know domestic mm. cow farming mm. in Australia, you actually get them focusing on something that's going to be effective, mm. like getting rid of cats, mm. feral cats. It's a tough one because I guess maybe a lot of them have cats at home mm. and they're fluffy and they're on calendars. It 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 is a it's it's a really tough issue, um, and and for me comes back to something that, that Charlie Massey talks about in his book is around ecological literacy. And um, for me, part of that is, is trying to take more of a holistic view on, on things. And I mean, a, a, good, a good example, which is incredibly controversial at the moment, is the feral horses in Kosciuszko. And you can take the view, as many people do, that um, horses are incredibly intelligent, um, beautiful, um, an important part of cultural heritage, um, albeit you know five or six generations compared to six hundred generations um, for Indigenous Australians in that area. Or you can take the view that they're they're not native to that area and they're doing horrendous damage. I was in the Snowies um, about a month ago and just seeing the amount of damage that they were doing to particularly you know, around um, streams and boggy areas. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough thing, you know, making those, making those decisions. Does the health of the ecosystem come ahead of, you know, 20,000 horses or should we allow 20,000 horses to destroy an ecosystem for, you know, countless other species? Um, it's, 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 isn't it? It's, it's the, it's the balance sheet of of of, um, of suffering, mm. isn't it? You know mm. what's and the, it is, it, and just you know take that one step further. If if we were to leave horses there and they weren't to be controlled, whether you know in this case horses, then you know at some point, as you say, that that ecology um, is, degra- is is degraded to a point where other species are impacted, mm. or already are, and then those 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 horses are impacted them anyway. Mm. You know, like to, I guess, what's better, what, a horse to be to be um, uh, destroyed humanely? Let's hope it's always humanely, as often as possible. Or, you know, it's it's a very quick, quick, um, a quick operation, and uh, or to or to you know um, starve, mm. or to you know, um, would die of thirst, you know. And that's and I, and I think the pictures of that and the the outcome the the, the outcome of that is, um, is not clear enough, is it? You know, and so how how can how can those who don't appreciate not that everyone doesn't appreciate, but those who aren't sort of on country and um in a landscape how how can they be more 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 landscape literate? Do you think what is that possible to then appreciate these sort of issues? Mm. I mean, I think there's there's opportunities for everyone, whether it's getting stuck into gardening in, in your backyard or at your local community garden. You know, I think getting your getting your hands dirty and starting to learn more about you know, nature and the the complexity of it and just how challenging it is to actually grow a few um, tomatoes, <laughs> and uh, you know. Dealing with with pests and 
for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's a that's a great that's a great start. Um, back, how about backyard literacy? That might be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. That's a landscape of sorts, isn't it? It's mm. only small, but yeah. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think with COVID, one of one of the th- things that certainly from the people I'm talking to, um, there is a much greater appreciation for what we would call the natural world. Mm. You know, people noticing trees and birds and um, all sorts of things that we kind of have just taken for granted and just seeing the, I don't know, the, the wonder of nature and just, I don't know, how, how incredible life is and, and what a role as humans we can and we should be playing, um, you know, playing our part rather than trying to sit above it and, and um yeah, I think that mindset is, has. I mean, really, it's kind of brought brought us to the edge of um, catastrophe at the moment. What if, is, you're, if you're willing to listen to scientists, is um, Zach Bush talks about the sixth? Are we are we at the beginning of our sixth extinction? Is that right? Mm. So he talks about it's pretty yeah. scary, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think I think we're kind of we're on the way. Are you looking for more information to assist you on your regenerative journey? We've created an online community of supporters with exclusive access to interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions with Charlie and his interviewees, as well as the opportunity to be interviewed on the show yourself. If you would like to be part of this community or would simply like to contribute to the development of the podcast series, please make your way to patreon.com forward slash the regenerative journey podcast. We look forward to you becoming a member of the Regenerative Journey community. Let's get back to this week's episode. I want to just jump to your have lessons learnt, I guess. Um, where where in sport have you or your experience with sport at that level? You know, have there been some experiences you've had or learnings you've had that have helped shape your approach to your advocacy of regenerative farming is there sort of any any whether it's leadership or it's you know teamwork or is there anything that sort of um, that you know if you'd been farming we can't change it you grew up on a farm if you hadn't done your sport you know you, you may not have learned some lessons I guess your sense of agriculture and ecology may have stayed the same but as having gone through that phase of you know um, high level sport has that taught you anything about your approach to regenerate? I think at the end of the day, it's all about people and trying to reduce the barriers for people engaging in the conversation and being able to, I don't know, see themselves as someone who can, who can risk the, the discomfort or, or whatever it might be in, in, in actually starting to, to learn something, something different. Um, you know, my, my grandfather, who he passed away a few years ago, but he he died kind of as a conservative farmer, um, climate denier, and there was, I guess, looking back, there was really nothing that 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 invited him into a different conversation. Um, you know, I think as as humans, we kind of just get caught in our little silos and our echo chambers and, and look for information that 
um, reinforces our worldviews. So I think for anything, when you're, when you're part of a team or, or um, working in ag, it's, yeah, really trying to meet people where there are not, not judging what people are doing um, and having the, I guess, knowing that, it, you know, if, if things were a little bit different in your upbringing, you'd probably be doing the same thing. Um, so yeah, really, really trying to think about how, how we engage people, um, how we build more of a conversation, um, reduce some of the barriers to more people being interested in and in, in getting involved and not making it into this kind of, um, holier than thou you know, club of, of, uh, people who think that they have the answers. I think that's, a, it's a great point that, um, and, and you're here, um, have been here for today, yesterday and today. I'm losing track of time. Um, today, 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 day two of our introduction to biodynamics course, and we we emphasise that a lot, um, Hamish and I, that you know we're not saying you should do this and what you have done is wrong. It's a, it's about getting back to that very non prescriptive. Um, approach to farming, and which we we advocate that biodynamics is. It's you know there there are different techniques and there's practices and there's a whole lot of philosophy and principles around it. But if you can just pick up the pieces that you really enjoy and and do, then that's a it's a softly it's a sort of a step by step go softly approach, which I think is you know we we like to think that that works. You know, the people don't get need to get bashed over the head, and we certainly don't say that what other people are doing is wrong. We emphasise the difference. We, you know, I think that's one of the barriers too is that um, the people stepping into the, you know, change that that fear of change is that does this mean that what I did was wrong, or, or probably more more poignantly, you know, what Dad did was wrong. You know, what would Dad think about that? Mm. And my experience was. Was, well, I've got to say, it was wonderful. My father was, um, he he was very embracing of the changes we made. And we went sort of cold turkey on a few things. Mm. I didn't tell him everything we are doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that approach works. Yeah. I mean, when, you, when you're so invested in a certain way of doing things or, or belief, um, you know, you go out and spend a lot of money on an expensive car, it's very hard to then admit that it's a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> you want to you keep trying to tell everyone that no, no, no it's actually it's no. actually good. No, it hasn't um, lost value. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, th- I think the more you attack people and um, tell them what they're doing is wrong, it's human nature to sort of retreat and become more entrenched in that way of doing things. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think what Charlie Massey and others and, and yourself with this podcast are doing is trying to invite people into more of a, a conversation about it. Um, and having like briefly touched on biodynamics at, at uni, I've, I've enjoyed learning a bit more about it and meeting um, farmers who are, are doing it or, or thinking about getting into it. Dave, um, let's jump to back to books, um, your book, your and Emma, Emma's book, um, uh, In Our Nature. Tell me about Tell me why you wrote, why you, well, wrote, put together. Um, and you're a keen photographer. Yeah, I, I enjoy can we photography. T- can we tell people that? Is that a secret? No, no, go for <laughs> it. Um, 
I took took a year off um, from Australian rugby in 2017 and spent most of it on a farm in the south of Zimbabwe. Um, and I've been working on a a project in that area for the last few years, trying to trying to bring together some agriculture, conservation, and community development work. And the seven months there was. It was a real kick in the guts, I guess, a really good reality check and uh, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And at what, the what, what was what was hard about that? The, the kind of backdrop was the economy was sort of grinding to a halt, um, politically unstable, and then just things on the farm, like everything was breaking. Um, there were no easy days, which, which I guess is farming. <laughs> um, but at the end, kind of coming back here, um, decided to try and write down some some thoughts and um, think about the things I learned. And some people were interested in, in in hearing more, so decided to do some do some writing and and really try and tell some more hopeful stories. Um, I guess one of the things that it did allow us to do was meet and spend time with a bunch of people who are, I think are doing amazing things. I've kind of dedicated their their lives to building new models and, and different ways of doing things. So tried to tell some of those stories, put a bunch of um, photographs in there. Um, I know a lot of people prefer photos to words, so um, <laughs> <laughs> myself included at times. So really trying to... I guess the, the the hope for it was that it would reach a, an audience that isn't particularly that interested in conservation or agriculture and try and tell some of those stories and, and, and get, get a bit of a com- conversation going. Um, it's like a carrot. You're just dangling the carrot. Is that, is that sort of with a, people who are more rugby-focused. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a – and turn it into a much bigger undertaking that, than we'd anticipated, but – yeah, we're really happy with it. Where can people get that book? Your beautiful book. It's it's available on my website, davidpocock.com, um, and we're we're posting them out as the orders come in. I've um, seen photos of you and Emma with piles and piles of books signing away, pumping them out there. It's fantastic. Yeah, we've got we've got I think three hundred copies left, and then that's that's them done. So for not forever. I think so. I think we're not. We oh, really? not going to print anymore. You heard it first here. <laughs> you. <laughs> By the time this goes out, there might only be three copies left. Oh, I don't know. Um, have you, has your signature sort of changed? <laughs> Did it become like more of a scribble than a than a well rounded David Pocock signature? <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't take too many signing sessions um, <laughs> as a rugby player to come up with a much more efficient. Uh, Signature than when you leave school. I signed a I signed a rugby ball once back in. Um, I'll tell a quick story. Back in um, oh, Maddie Corkill, help me here. Um, we played a game. It was two thousand five or six, and the, the we played. Um, oh, I'm going to forget that the the. the um, oh, we were playing. We were a sort of collection of ex Wallabies and and. Um, uh, and estate reps and 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 a few few farmers. It was like a handful of farmers. And I'm gonna get slaughtered. I forgot the name of our team. 
Um, anyway, so we were playing. It was a charity game. That's right. We were playing at Bungendor, the Mud Chooks at Bungendor. And um, it was it was surreal. Matthew and I were walking up the street of Bungendor one morning, uh, the morning of the game, that's right, and and people were going. And, we, and they could tell that we were sort of out of town and maybe part of this team that had turned up thinking we were like wallabies and looking. And I turned to Matty and I said, mate, um, we, we, for, you know, the rest of our lives, this will be our most famous day. No. <laughs> And at the end of the game, we signed, we signed footballs because they thought we were like, you know, most of them didn't know. Well, they didn't know us at all. And I remember the 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 greatest moment for me was subbing for um, David Wilson. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> he ran off, you know, high five on a went. It was like, did that just happen? Tim Gavin, Tim Horn. It was it was a, it was a classic. Um, Dick Harry. Um, yes, yeah, so I've I've only signed one football, David. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, now tell me why that year or those seven months in on the farm. Mm. Why did what, what what made you think I'm just going to go and do that? Like, I guess I, I wanted to get my hands dirty, and I'd been involved with community development um, work in Zimbabwe. Um, I'd been studying ag at uni, um, albeit very slowly. Um, while playing and, and yeah, just wanted some, some time off and, and I guess the freedom to really throw myself into something, um, for, a, for, a, for a period of time. And yeah, it was, was incredibly valuable learning experience and yeah, I guess this has shaped some of the, the, the ways I, I think about, um, trying to engage people and, and and has really informed the the project that we're trying to get going in that part of Zimbabwe. The one, yes. Uh, uh, let's um, let's talk about study, your current study, because that's uh, and 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 how that's sort of shaping up. Because you you're um, where's that headed, and and how long have you got to go, and what are, what are you actually studying, and why? Probably more importantly, I'm doing a masters of sustainable. Ag through Charles Sturt, and uh, after the semester, I've got a couple of subjects to go. So hopefully, finish uh, mid mid next year. Yeah, have, have have really enjoyed it. I think it's a good grounding in a, in a lot of kind of ag study with some alternative um, production systems uh, thrown in there, um, some human ecology stuff, which 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 I really enjoy, and. Yeah, have have kind of been doing one subject a semester, which is far too slow. Um, to, <laughs> to, to, is that still to finish something? Um, yeah. but, but I've recently just gone gone back full time. Well, not back full time. Gone full time for the first time, um, which I've, I've I've really enjoyed. It's mm. a it's a certainly a different. It's a it's a change in pace. And how reflective of your your doing your I guess your um your study. You're also active in, I guess, active in the regenerative space in terms of your advocacy and your understanding. How are there parallels? Are you seeing some, you know, some some good parallels between what you're studying and what you're seeing in your activities? Um, you know, is one keeping up with the other? Where, where does it sort of all sit? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think through through the study, um, have met a lot of farmers who have transitioned their farms to a more regenerative um, approach or, or starting to ask questions. And, you know, I think this, this, 
um, last drought. Yeah, obviously incredibly tough time for a, a lot of farmers. Um, and, yeah, I think is it, there, there are a few that are questioning just how sustainable in the long term our kind of high input, high output um, approach is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, have, have met some amazing farmers like Vince Heffernan um, in Dalton. Uh, and through, through the course, or? so he he did the the course um, that I started back in 2013, um, the ecological agriculture undergrad at Charles Sturt. He'd he'd done that. So yeah, I guess there's there's a there's a lot of alignment. One of the things I'm interested in is getting the conversation going with people living in cities. What can they do? And that's that's always the question, you know. When people learn more and are interested, well, what can I do? And you know, if Australians just started to spend ten or twenty bucks a week um, supporting regenerative agriculture, that's going to start to make a really big difference over time. What would, what would that what would that twenty bucks? What would that look like? Buying buying particular food. Yeah, so supporting your. Yeah, you know, a farmers market or um, yeah, you know, a bunch of farmers trying to direct market online. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people people are generally doing it tough, and um, yeah, w- really watching their spending. Um, so it, it may be unfeasible to for for some families to be doing all their shopping at, at the farmers market, but you know, I, I think. A, a little bit over time is actually going to start to 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 make a difference, and I'd suggest it's also, you know, we'll get onto nutrition. Um, it's what they're buying from a, at a farmer's market from a regenerative farmer, or you know, understanding where it's from. It's also what's in their shopping trolley at the supermarket, or where where, where they're shopping that isn't a farmer's market, isn't it? It's like, well, do we do you actually let's get the the organic or the regeneratively grown whatever, but let's look. What else is in the shopping trolley? Well, I mean, this is yeah, this is a bit much bigger conversation around <laughs> yeah, the whole podcast. The true cost itself. of food. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, Michael Plan talks about how you know, there is no cheap food. It's a it's a total illusion. Someone's paying the cost, and whether that's through or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something's behind the cost. Yeah, whether that's environmental degradation, um, public health costs. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's being paid somewhere. Maybe not by the the person who buys it doesn't think they're paying the cost. But I guess my hope is that we can move towards a system where farmers are realizing a lot more at the farm gate for the produce that they're producing and there's less being skimmed by processes and and um and supermarkets is i think it's a wonderful opportunity just just a few minutes ago dave you know saying um you know what we have is city people <clears throat> living in the city um you know hopefully buying some more some better food directly if they can and as you've identified, and is you know, there's much more science around it with you know Zach Bush and, and sort of breathe your biome and understanding the the significant health um, benefits of just being in nature. 
you know, forget sort of eating that food or something, just the, the literally the, the breath that we take and what we get from the environment and what the exchanges that take place and the epigenetics and that, all that sort of stuff. That's something that is clearly un- getting more clearly understood. And so if we can understand that and the city people can understand the benefit of that, well, there's a whole lot of farmland out here. Some is probably not as clean as others, but there's a whole lot of farmland out here that they can access. At the same time, there are farmers with that farmland who have food that can be produced and have acres and acres of beautiful land that people can can experience. So it's actually, I think it's really cool. And, and if you know, I'd love to get that connection even tighter. You know that there's there's benefits for both. There's, there's the experiencing of nature, and if those people come on farm, then they're actually going to be contributing to those rural communities. If they're not buying direct from that farmer, they might be walking around his hills. And, cre- and helping create the story of that farmer, and which then lead may lead him to producing his own food. But at least they're driving through town; they're supporting those communities. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like a, you know, dare I say, no-brainer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's there's not much downside to any of that. Mm. Well, well, yeah, and I think one of the things to add to that that um, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is is just the mental health benefits that are being studied and and. There's some pretty compelling stuff looking at this last big um, dry spell and farmers who were more involved in land care groups and farming regeneratively um, generally got got through, you know, in a far better mental health kind of um, way than, than farmers who were probably a lot more isolated and... Yeah, really up against it. So uh, you know, I, I think that that in itself is a is a really powerful thing to be working for. Is is trying to connect more farmers with with people who are eating their food. Yeah, th- that that alone could be powerful for for rural Australians. Um, and hopefully, you know, with, with with COVID, more Australians will be traveling. Yeah, in Australia, and actually seeing what what um, country Australia has to uh, has to offer. One of the benefits of COVID. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think just on that, you know, one of the the sense of well being and sort of getting through the drought. I think a lot got a bit to do with you know regenerative farming farmers and their practices being, you know, they make their decisions and their intuition is is one of the ways they help make those decisions. And and I know as a as a conventional farmer, I was looking for answers from other people. I was looking for that recipe or that prescription. And then when that answer wasn't there, I wasn't happy with it um, or the results weren't as I was told they'd be. You know, there's a real sense of lack of control and, and you know, the impact can be significant in many ways. But as a, as a farmer who's much more in touch with nature, you know, you're, you're much more and there's a much more sense of being in control of the things and focusing on what is in your control and letting go of the things you're not in control of. And so, you know, there's a just just being more adaptable and um, and being autonomous as a farmer. You're not being reliant on so many people. And that sense, it, it, it literally does give you a sense of well-being because you are you're focusing on what you're in control of. Things you're not in control of, you just not dismiss, but you just say, well, look, I'm not going to get or worked up about that, mm. um, and you know that it, it's sort of it's a bit of a sleeping giant there. That the benefit of regenerative ag, people talk about food, they talk about the environment, um, those those benefits, you know, but 
and, and there's social benefits, but the individual farmer benefit and their family, it is, I mean, it's literally saving lives. Mm. I mean, I think that touches on, you know, for people who aren't farmers, just being human. I guess you, you grow up and you're constantly kind of deferring authority to your parents, to school, to institutions. And then at some point in life, you decide, oh, actually, I need to, you know, take some personal responsibility and, and become the expert on my own life because at the end of the day, I'm the only constant character in this this drama. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's something really, really powerful in, in doing that. Writing your own script. Yeah. Um, talking about scripts, I just want to touch on any other books that you um, recommend, love, you know, would suggest that people uh, try, try and track down any that's really inspired you. I think in, a, in an Australian context, um, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe and um, Charlie Massey's book called Reed Waller. Um, yeah, two, two very powerful um, accounts and, and yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. Mm. Um, I think very relevant to any, any Australian. Totally. Farming or otherwise. Mm. Um, trying to think of other stuff. Um, a Sand County Almanac, Aldo Leopold. Um, that's, that's worth a, beautiful, worth a read. Um, I reread, uh, Silent Spring the other day. Um, Rachel Carson and, I think just it's timeless, just so so relevant to the times we find ourselves in in now. Um, actually, in the back of in our nature, there's a reading list, so it could be worth getting just for, <laughs> just for the reading list. It's pretty it's pretty extensive, and uh, don't find a mate and go to the back page and photocopy it. Go and get the book yourself, stingy bags. <laughs> Remember, there's only three hundred left. <laughs> And Dave, what about mentors? Um, did you do you did you have mentors, whether that be sort of in a sporting sense or a life sense, or you know anyone that sort of you you have a um, you're thankful that was in your life? Yeah, incredibly grateful for the the role my dad's played as a kid, getting to spend a lot of time with him on the farm, um, and then he. He loves birds. Like he, he grew up um, big into falconry and, and um, yeah, was always just encouraging us to um, spend time in nature and kind of uh, be a bit weird with our obsession <laughs> with, you know, birds and names and trapping birds and whatever else we were doing. Um, so he, he's been a huge, I guess, figure and, and, and mentor for me. My mum's dad, my, my grandfather, um, yeah, also in, in, probably in a very different way, was was someone I really admired and looked up to. And then, yeah, I, I guess you look you look back, and there's always, you know, a teacher or someone who who saw something in you or encouraged you to explore a part of yourself that um, you otherwise didn't have permission to. Um, and yeah, so grateful for that. Those sorts of um, characters. But uh, yeah, I, I guess moving to moving to Australia, not having any other family here, um, a lot of it has been through reading, and yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff out there by people with a lot of life experience and and um, 
that I think that's been a big part of of trying to learn more and and yeah, work out what it what it means to engage and 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 get involved in things that you're you're passionate about um, and hopefully live a live a better life. Um, I've got a, an older friend in in Perth who I catch up with once every two or three weeks, and he's always good for um, a bit of. Uh, uh, wisdom, or or um, he's he's not afraid to tell you how uh, how he sees it. Good sounding board, yeah, yeah. No, it's important, isn't it? Having having that. I mean, there's there's the mirror we hold up against ourselves, but often, you know, often we got to start by someone else has got to hold that mirror up, don't they? You know, and just call you out. And I can't tell you how many, you know. The, through interviews, you know that that's that has been a theme. I don't know whether you've always talked about it on the interview. It might have been pre or post, so I may not necessarily have captured it, but there's certainly, um, you know, I mean, for me, mentoring is uh, something I do for others, and um, but more importantly, you know, it's what I, uh, you know, I guess my appreciation of what it is to be mentored um, and and learn from others' mistakes. You know, it's 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 really I I, I can't, you know. Suggest strongly enough that that anyone you don't have to be a farmer listening to this either the sort of um, the benefits of mentoring and and a, and a confidant you know whether it's your partner or or someone and that's you know it's good for mental health it's good for just growth and development it's good for it's good for your children you know that's a, a real motivator for me is certainly you know um, having um, having others that that are far more important than 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 me in this world and and they're um. And the legacy, legacy I leave them. Um, talking about legacies, Dave Alan Savory. Um, you know, we we know him. Farmers know him, and, and I guess the world is getting to know Alan through uh, TED talks. Um, you know, he's becoming um, more widely known for his um, his work over there. You mentioned. Um, uh, tell us a bit more about him from from the perspective of, of one of one of one of you know his countrymen. You know what the the. Um, that we may not know. It is not, I'm not suggesting you dig up dirt on him. I'm just saying, you know, what what what's as a as someone you've met and as someone you you're aware of, you know, what um, what else can you tell us about him? That's you know, we we may not know his his history or his his mm. personality. I guess his, his history in Zimbabwe. He was uh, he was a politician um, for a time and incredibly kind of principled and outspoken in his. Um, against the Rhodesian government um, and eventually I think just kind of went into self-imposed exile because he just wasn't <laughs> didn't feel like he could actually uh, do anything there um, Wait, how, how long ago are we talking sort of just a sense of late 70s yeah yeah and, and I guess like, yeah like maybe less appreciated where you're actually from um, and so I think it probably took him moving away and um, working with people in other countries to really get holistic management and holistic plan grazing to a wider audience. Um, and now you're seeing in Zimbabwe a, a real um, embracing of um, holistic plan grazing on private, privately owned farms and in communal, communally owned um, lands, uh, really trying to address some of the Land degradation and and um, yeah, huge issues that that farmers are, are facing there, um, particularly yeah, as rainfall gets less reliable and um, 
you know, they're seeing a lot more drought and then that's turning into floods because the land has no, has kind of lost its capacity to, to hold water uh, when it does rain. Sponge. Dave, do you think you're more appreciated because you, you're, you know, you're more appreciated here because you're here as opposed to if, if you'd stayed, stayed there? I've got no idea. <laughs> well, not so much appreciate. It's probably the wrong word, but I guess, um, I mean, very different trajectories. I guess you know. Do you think you would have? You, you, your, would you have? Um, uh, I guess if you'd stayed there. I mean, I don't know. I guess you didn't stay there. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you might have played for the Springboks. You never know, and and. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing to kind of um, grapple with, where you, you know, you, you go back there and you don't necessarily feel like you're um, fully Zimbabwean anymore and and fully welcome, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware in Australia if you're, you're kind of welcome, but if you question some of the um, unquestionable things, uh, you very quickly are told to chuff off back to where you come from. <laughs> sort of, it's like sort of in a, in a um, not a no, no man's land, but I, I, can, I, I think I can understand that, that that would always be an Aussie's fallback. It's like, oh, you don't understand. Mm. You're not from here. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. yeah well, mate, we're, we're all very glad you did come over here. No, oh, thank you. For I'm, lots of yeah. reasons. I um, really love this place and – yeah. What about legacy? Tell me about legacy. What do you want to leave your family, this world? The big questions. <laughs> I started saving them. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I think about is, you know, who 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 are we apart from the places where we live? We've, as humans, we've evolved in in landscapes, and through our technology now, have like unimagined power to shape them mm. we're at an incredible place in history where we now have an understanding of just how awry things have gone and at the same time have ways of changing and ways of actually um being part of um there's an author joanna macy and she talks about this the great turning of this realization that Hang on, this 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 way of doing things has brought, you know, a whole heap of what we might think are benefits, um, but you know, we're we're standing at a cliff edge, and and we can actually, we can actually change path, and I think doing that provides us with so much of of what we're searching for as humans, for connection. Um, True connection with with each other and and with the places that we we live. So, yeah, to me, it's it's incredibly exciting, despite knowing how bad things are at the moment. You're optimistic. I think Zimbabweans, yeah, you know, are just it's just in, ingrained optimism. <laughs> <laughs> you're very resourceful. If you're, if you're not optimistic, you've got no chance. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, 
I am. Having said that, it's it's hard to see so many of the things that you love, I guess, disappearing, and 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 knowing that um, if you if you kind of look at things with a more an approach of viewing them as complex systems and and kind of um, some of the work uh, around resilience theory. Um, it's often not the case that you can just go back to how things were and uh, there are thresholds that you can cross and, and the best you may be able to do is to look for an opportunistic time to transform or help that system transform into something that's more desirable, but it's, it's, it's potentially never going to be, you know, like what you read about in, in, in some of the, the journals from, yeah, a few hundred years ago. Um, and, and just what a, what a paradise some of this, this landscape was. And it's a great point um, that Peter Andrews made many years ago and he keeps on making that, you know, this landscape is, is, um, is being wounded over many years and we need to put it in, in intensive care and we need the, to use any tool we have at our disposal, whether that's sort of a, a physical physical tool, uh, implement technology, whatever, to, to, to heal, you know, and he's, he copped a lot of flack by, you know, encouraging the use of willows in, in waterways. You know, it's a suture on a, on a wound. We just got to use it whatever we can. This thing's dying, you know. Mm. You don't have time to pick and choose and and we don't we don't have time either. And that's, you know, I'm a big fan of, of exotic species in the landscape. We're looking at a willow. It's, yes, it's sort of aesthetically pleasing on a dam, but there's plenty of other willows around and plenty of other oaks and things that we use to, to heal. So I, I totally agree that um, trying to get back to where we were, that state is, you know, um, nearly impossible. That's um, not to say... Um, we can't, but I don't think we need to because it's it's not what this landscape requires. Uh, it needs it needs again to be um to be in, to put into intensive care. And I'm not sure you actually answered the question, Dave. The mm. legacy is there a particular legacy? Is there a project you're working on at the moment you particularly proud of? Well, not even necessarily a project, but just a just a, a focus, a um, a passion that that you know. Some years down the track, you look back on. And think you know what that was really worth my time. I'm busy working on a, a project in southern Zimbabwe, really trying to build a a new model around how agriculture, conservation, and community development can meet really at that that intersection. I guess having having been involved in community development work, where you're working with incredibly um, poor communities and seeing seeing like genuine improvements in life, access to healthcare, education, um, a whole bunch of human improvements, but not necessarily seeing the land base improving, not seeing less degradation, um, yeah, not seeing less erosion around streams and rivers, uh, less siltation of dams, all those sorts of things I, I think the the challenge for us as humans is to create models where we can meet our human needs and, and thrive as a species and those models ensure that 
non-humans and the ecosystems that we depend on are thriving. And I, you know, I think it is possible. It's it's not going to look like what we're doing at the moment, um, and and that, and that's the exciting thing to me. It's called harmony. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a it's a different way of of of, of thinking about things, of of viewing the world, of viewing our place in the world, and it's going to have some some serious trade offs, and and uh, you know, I don't think it's going to. Not everyone can be a winner in that sort of that sort of world, and it's going to have to be a lot more collaborative, and uh, probably a lot less about competition. Yeah, to, to me, that's exciting. That's what that's what we need. That's I think that's at the end of the day, that's what we long for as a as a species. And you know, I think the 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 tragedy of it all is that we have been searching for something and in the process kind of destroying the very thing that holds the answers for us, which is the places we live, the, the, the people we love. And there's, there's really something about being on land that is um, functioning and healing and, and um, yeah, there's, there's something incredibly grounding and, and sort of spiritual about that, I think. Dave, I think that's as good a place to stop as anywhere. We've probably got day two of the of biodynamics to learn more about that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, get into it. <laughs> maybe I should have interviewed you this afternoon. You might have had a whole different <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> whole different spin. Um, Dave, as I said, um, with sincerity, really glad that that your life has taken the path that it has. That you're 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 one of us, as it were, in Australia, and um, and at the same time still contributing significantly to. Um, uh, in Zimbabwe and, you know, making a difference there because I know that's your love and, and to be able to contribute in both places is a wonderful thing. Um, and talking about contribution, if you'd ever like to contribute to our workforce here at Hannah Minow, you're most welcome. We do. I know Vince, I'm going to steal Vince. Is it okay if Dave comes and landmarks for us one day? <laughs> Thanks. That sounds good, <laughs> Vince. I have to have to give him a rap. Invincible. He um he was the one who uh, he sent me a text. Oh, it must have been last year sometime. And he said, he said, I've got a mate. I think you should you should you should meet and be nice to him. <laughs> Something like that. It's very text. Vince. <laughs> We're actually there next Saturday. I think he's putting in a few more thousand trees. Yeah, nice. No, he's in Moorlands Biodynamic Lamb. He's uh, I think he's at the uh, is he mar- at the markets every week or every second week there in um, uh, I was going to say Epic Mid- it's definitely not every week but he he is kind of active on social media and lets people know and yeah I think you can order through his website and, and just pick up yeah no it's good stuff good Texel lamb there um, Dave thank you so much so enjoyed that um, I think it's a sort of a appropriate spot looking back out over the dam um and that beautiful landscape that I'm certainly in love with, and uh, and I'm really thrilled that you've, you've spent a couple of days with us, a couple of days with us, learning biodynamics and having the opportunity to have a chat. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Good fun. Yeah. Cheers. Well, there you go, David Pocock. Love David as a rugby player and as an environmental activist because that's what he is. Um, sitting there after our biodynamic workshop. 
but moving on to other things, uh, next week is Cindy O'Meara. She is a legend. She's a nutritionist. She's, I wouldn't call her a dietitian. She's an activist of some sorts and Changing Habits is her website. She is fantastic. Caught up with her at a beautiful little farm at Mullaney in Queensland and uh, hope you enjoy my little chat with Cindy as much as I did. I look forward to seeing you next week on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.